Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 184, chapters 76, through the epilogue of the Hero of Ages. Paul, you have made it. Elliot is finally current with you and no more secrets, for you at least. How you doing? Fantastic. I'm excited to be here, excited to finally have made it to the end of the book. I will say, uh, aside from the book, if you're watching on YouTube, you're probably thinking it looks a little weird. For one, I'm in a new place. My wife and I have finally moved into our, our first home, which I'm very excited about. Second off, I have a new desk here, and my mic arm won't fit won't quite fit it's like half a centimeter off i'm gonna have to figure something else out so i have my mic sitting in a box on my desk kind of <laughs> angled toward me and then because of that i also have the desk raised up high so i don't have to like hunch over the whole time so it picks me up okay so just given that as a preface if it looks like it's like a top-down angle for one and for two like why my microphone is sitting in a box. So <laughs> you look great. Paul. All, all in all, doing fantastic. Wonderful. Great. Excited to be here. Um, but, you know, a couple little quirks, I guess. So historically, especially for the last like year or so, your mic has been closer a little bit than Elliot and my mic. But today it's, it's further away. So like, you're very small over there in the corner on the on the preview over here. Very petite, yes. Elliot, how are you? I am pretty sore, actually. I had to shovel literally a foot of snow off of my driveway this morning. So mm-hmm. I'm a little not feeling great. But I suppose I'm feeling a lot better than Vin and Elland and Marsh and most of the characters in our story. Well... Two of those three aren't feeling a thing right now, but we'll talk about Yeah, actually, a lot to talk about there, yes, but uh, on the surface, they they all apparently are are dead, tear. Are they? Okay, interesting. All right, we can go ahead and roll intro, and then we'll get a brief summary of events of the end of The Hero of Ages. All right, Elliot, how did it end? Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to try to get through this in a reasonably short synopsis style. I don't know if that's possible to summarize a Sander Lynch like this, but I'll try. So when we left off before, Vin had disappeared. She had poof, gone. Sucked in all the mist, gone. Well, we pick up with Vin in Chapter 76, and lo and behold, she is preservation and she's going to duke it out with ruin over the course of these few chapters. They have a lot of scuffles fights between the two of them. They're, they're just kind of battling and then they chat and then they battle and then they chat and then they battle and they chat and then they die and then say Zed. But before we rush to that, Ellen 
arrives at Luthadel, Vin is able to give him a little bit of a hint against the resistance of Ruin to go to the pits. He does that, finds all the refugees. They get all them to the Chondra lair. Sezid is at the Chondra lair, the homeland. He's been imprisoned because remember the second generation staged a coup, took over. We find out the first generation is in prison with him. Sezid escapes with the help of Tensoon and Tensoon's girlfriend person, Milan. Milan. Yeah. And yeah, so they get out. They have a little Chondra battle. The Then Ruin starts to take control of all the, the Chondra, which I think surprised some of the characters, but sh- we should have known that was coming. He can control Kolos. He can control Inquisitors. Why not Chondra? So he does that. And the first generation realized this and call for the resolution, I think it's called, yep. of all the Chondra killing themselves, preventing Ruin from getting them as forced servants. It kind of works. Most of the Chondra do it. Not all of the Chondra do it. And so the mostly second generation, I think, stay and are now forced servants of Ruin, who is using him to try and get the ATM which we've discovered is in the home of the Chondra. Ellen arrives with the crew. Kolos army, hundreds of thousands of them that Ruin has been gathering from across the land, arrive not too long after Ellen gets there. So we have the the big showdown, the the epic climax of the book with ATM-powered Ellen and his army against hundreds of thousands of Coloss, all while Vin and Ruin are doing battle. Ellen fights Marsh. They kill each other? Question mark? Question mark. Interesting. Okay. Vin kills Ruin? Question mark? Sazed steps in, finds the dead bodies, He's put question marks next to everything I say in this, basically. Sazen steps in, dead body of Vin, dead body of what we assume is like the vessel of Ruin, basically. Vin and and Ruin die, but bodies appear. Power's just kind of chilling. Power's sitting there. Sazen steps in, takes both preservation and Ruin, becomes God reshapes the entire world, fix all the problems, brings back the grass, brings back the sun, puts the planet back in the right orbit. They all live happily ever after. Everyone who's alive, at least. Yeah. Okay, so... Okay. So... so, Where where do we start? Yeah. Where do we start? Um, I, I didn't remember this exactly. So I was on the lookout for it as I was reading. Does it say explicitly that Marsh is dead? He's Ooh, kind gosh. of so I. He's kind of just gone. I wrote this down. He, not even that. I think. So this is Sander Lanch, and I bet a lot of you guys out there can relate with this. When you hit a Sander Lanch, you start reading a little faster, or maybe your audiobook and your your speed is fixed. If you're reading a physical copy, I can I almost guarantee. 
your adrenaline starts to pick up a little bit. You start reading a little faster. I even have to stop myself sometimes from like skimming the descriptive paragraphs to get to the next dialogue because I got to know what's going what's gonna to happen. So when I read it for the first time, I don't pick up everything. But I realized as I was putting my notes down, what happened to Marsh? So I went back and reread it. And I could have missed it again. I was going fairly fast trying to get all my notes together too. It just, it just stops talking about him. He, he's fighting Ellen. He cuts Ellen's head off. Yeah. I don't think he's mentioned after that. There's a point where Ellen stabs him, like through the neck. Yep. But we've seen Inquisitors come back from... I think it, I think it deliberately says he heals from that and then chops Ellen's head off. He manages to still chop Ellen's head off after that. And like when I finished my, the assumption in my head was, oh yeah, they, Ellen didn't march, just kill each other. But then I got thinking about it. I was like, wait, uh, wait, did he? Any thoughts, Paul? As an aside at first, I thought it was really funny when Elliot started his explanation and said, everyone dies, then says it. Just like as a <laughs> statement, I thought that was funny. Regarding this, I didn't, I mean, the way it like unfolds, it's like super building up to the climax and then it's, you know, of this fight. And then it says that, you know, it's kind of like they both go in for the killing blow at the same time and they both land at the same time. But it's not equal, obviously, right? Ellen is not going to heal from losing his head unfortunately rest in peace the marsh can i didn't i didn't tune in specifically to whether or not he dies i do specifically remember though it doesn't say like and their marsh died and fell over you know it doesn't it doesn't mention that and so i wondered if he was i mean this is my second read through but i was sitting there wondering when he's going to come back um into the story even though i've read this already um I have no idea what that could mean implication-wise. So now that... I guess the question with that is... Okay, if he's dead... Sorry. If he's alive, then who the Vessel of Ruin was is dead. And it's now... Sazed has that power. Yep. So could he be sort of using Marsh in a more... A responsible way, I guess. Um, if Maybe. he is alive, you know, it's probably better, or, or at least he's not under Ruin's control, right? So doesn't he have some control? I imagine. I feel like this would have been mentioned if this was the case, but my understanding is that Inquisitors are in pain, and they would love to be able to pull their own spikes out if they could. Um, I'm like if if he if Ruin lost his grip over Marsh, would he do that? Would he? Would he? Could we still just kind of safely assume Marsh is Marsh is gone? Um, I don't know if that's what he would do, but I feel like that's what would happen if you know we're assuming that Ruin lost control of Marsh. So something I want to touch on, and I'll talk about this more next week as well. Early Brandon Sanderson books, I feel like they don't really resolve. They, they, 
they dump a Sanderlanch on you and then they're done. Like the last two chapters is still like action scenes and like in really important events. And there's zero time to like process it. In this book, we get the epilogue and that's it, right? Where Spook is coming out of the storage caverns with everybody else. They kind of have a little bit of time to process. Oh, green grass, blue sky, dead Vin and Elland. And that's the end of the book. But if you were to read, if you were to read Sanderson in publication order, which with that being Elantris and then Mistborn, I feel like this would be the first book where you get even a little bit of like closure or sentimental scene at the end. So this, this book has a lot of questions at the end and they're not answered. Like in the, in the epilogue says that writes to spook, Hey, there's still two medals out there and I'm not going to tell you what they are, but you should keep an eye out for them. And so I remember, Oh, and Kelsier says hi, by the way. Yeah. Like what? Hello. Um, so I remember reading this for the first time and remembering, wow, I'm so glad that there's an era too, because if, if that's where like, it's, if that's where schedule stopped, I'd be kind of upset. I, I want to know more about the, the world. I like, I understand that Vin and Ellen's story is done, but I feel like the world has a lot of potential and a lot of un- unanswered questions. So I was actually really excited to jump into Era 2 when I finished this for the first time. Don't know about you guys. We'll we'll get into this more next episode as we talk about the series as a whole and where we're headed to. I do feel that for sure. I want to know I want to know where all this is going. I want to I have a list of questions that are left over from this whole series. But I also know that Era 2 is like pistols and cars and trains and stuff like that. How much time are we about to jump from now to Era 2? Are there even going to be any of the same characters? Are we going to see any of these people again? Like, those are my questions. We, we, can, we can jump into that next episode. But yeah, that's, that's, I'm, I'm in the same place. I'd have one thing I'd like to say to that question. So I didn't think about this the first time I read it. But this time, specifically with the thought of, oh, we're going to be jumping into Era 2 pretty soon here. Um, Sazed mentions, you know, it's it's that quote of he's like, oh, you know, the I'm paraphrasing it, but the quote of like, oh, the hero of ages isn't a hero to come once in the ages. It's a hero like throughout the ages, you mm-hmm. know, yep. um, deeming himself the hero of ages at the end of the book. And <clears throat> knowing that he is in what position he is makes me excited to see ways that you know like there's shard ish power you know in the in in era two because unless something crazy happens in between that we don't know about yet then we know who said we we have a like a good understanding of says it as a character and now being both having both the power of preservation and of ruin makes me really really eager like i'm i'm really excited to explore the the world in 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 mistborn era 2 now because of that alone but aside from that 
Elliot, I can't imagine that. I, I'm I'm sure that there's none of our like normal characters that are here. My very brief understanding is the Era One characters are kind of like the heroes of old. You know, maybe they're still like a Church of the Survivor, and it's like legend or something like that. You know, maybe that's the case. Um, but there's no way anyone else other than like says that I feel like could have a part in what's going forward. Unless somehow Marsh has ascended, or I don't know. I doubt that, but you know, that's the only. I don't. I I can't think of any other way that there'd be any crossover, and that's okay. You know, that's 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 what I would expect from that big of a time jump. I'll answer the time jump question now, so that you can brew on it for I don't know next week or the week after, or whatever. Three hundred years. There's a three hundred year time jump from. Er- Era 1 to Era 2. So, go ahead, Paul. Were you going to say something? I was I was thinking, I was like, well, the only other characters that would still be around, right, would be like the Andra or the Coloss or something, right? But Right. So, you, you then have to ask yourself the question, okay, who could potentially live that 300-year time span? We have Sazed. Condra, were there any Condra left at the end of the book? That, that's what I was thinking. I feel like there aren't, but well, maybe so. I don't. I don't know. And and Sazed kind of reshapes everything, right? Including people, right? It talks about the Coloss and how he reshaped them into. Gosh, now I'm forgetting. He gave them like the choice to become human again, I think. But I forget what the other choice was. Was it stay Coloss or was it? I don't remember. I'd have to reread it. Anyway, like, is Condra even a thing anymore? Right. Says it's kind of in control. So the the magic system still exists and, with a tentative question mark. Right. And so. <laughs> He just like made Spook a Mistborn. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. There's just no, he's in creative mode. Like there's no yeah. rules. <laughs> Sazed just can do whatever he wants. It's crazy. The, so yeah, the interesting part, the interesting question is this non answered magic system question of all the Conjurer have died, quote unquote, but all their spikes are still laying around. All the, Although he does, there's something about the mist wraiths. He's he does something with the yeah. mist wraiths. I don't remember what happens there. But could you remake Coloss and they be immortal? Like that, there. That's a question. Is Marsh still around? Is he immortal? That's a question. How long can you live as a Mistborn in the normal world? Like there, there's well, some, there's some weird connotations. And to to go even to the other topic, Vin and Ellen seem to be dead. Uh-huh. But then again, Seiza just kind of drops a line. I mean, you can picture that. They they come out of their holes post post apocalypse. They come out of the of the nuclear bunkers and there's grass, there's trees, there's flowers, it's beautiful. And then over in this flower covered meadow are Vin and Ellen's dead bodies that Seiza has left there for them. So Vin and Ellen dead. Sazed leaves their bodies 
to be buried or, or whatever ceremony they're going to do. And then in his letter to Spook, he just drops alongside the Owen oh, Kelsier says hi. He goes, oh, yeah, and Vin and Ellen, they're, they're happy where they are now. Well, hang on a second. They just died. Right. So what is what, where they are now? What do you mean? I Have we seen that in a Cosmere character before? Where Are we talking afterlife? Are we talking spiritual realm? Are we talking, like, what is that a reference to? I, I'm assuming that this is, you know, I guess kind of pseudo minor slash pseudo major Cosmere spoiler. Isn't this like the, what's, what's the term? They're, they're spiritual invested. Realm. Yeah. They're like a, yeah, they're whatever so, like level of invested that they still like exist, I guess, you know? Okay. So. Brandon Sanderson has made it explicit that he's not going to confirm or deny the existence of an afterlife in the Cosmere because of how, because if he, if he confirms or denies that, that um, will have big connotations for some characters like story arcs where we've seen in stories before people talking to people in the afterlife or like what exactly is happening there? Is that real? Is that not? So, um, he, he said that he's not going to confirm or deny that there is a confirmed afterlife. However, Paul, what you were saying is correct. We've had instances in the past where if you die and you're invested at the time of your death, some weird things can happen, right? So, like, especially highly invested, such as Vin at the end of this, um, at the end of the story. So, yeah, there's there's some weird, uh, interesting questions, unanswered questions, I should say. Whether, but I would say Vin and Ellen, their bodies are dead, but could they hypothetically be in the cognitive realm somewhere invested? like as what's the term shadow cognitive shadows cognitive shadow yeah. in theory sure but i don't believe they are i, I believe they're dead um we haven't done an art piece in a while if you guys want to look in general chat this is one of my favorite misborn art pieces this is from i'll show it on youtube this is from give me one second where's the author of this i can't i will i will give proper credit on screen right now to whoever this is i apologize i can't find it right now but this is one of my favorite uh misborn art pieces it's vin and ellen um laying peacefully in the grass after their quest is finished um at the end of the hero of ages so elliot in the outline you said that this was a fitting ending to the hero of ages kind of sad, kind of depressing, but also like with a twist of hope and happiness for the future. Melancholy w would be a good word for it. So, and I, and I think this art piece uh, displays that pretty well. I would, I would agree with you. It like the, the colors in this piece are that the, the tone, it is darker. It's got some darker shades. You know, Ellen's Ellen's outfit is, white it's pure white but in the, in this art piece it's 
is kind of toned down a little bit, which I I hundred percent agree with you reflects the kind of darker themes or just the the overcast feeling of this whole entire story. But then there's these bright kind of pinpoints of of light in the these flower petals kind of everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like that that overcast, that dreary, almost depressive setting for it all, but then kind of highlighted with these pinpricks of of hope. Yeah, that's Mistborn right there. Mistborn Era 1, at least. This is stunning artwork. I wish you did remember the name so I could give it's special, I, I found a special it. shout out, you know. It's Gar Leva. He's one of my favorite um, uh, Cosmere artists, actually. He uh, he does several different Stormlight works that are really, really good as well. Um, if you are looking for good Cosmere art, look up Garleva, G-A-R-L-E-Y-V-A. Yeah, it's beautiful. This style-wise, I mean, not with the style of clothes, but with like the all the stuff going on and kind of the flowy, freeform style of like how they look. It almost looks like Yumi art from that book. Yeah. Um and it's it's beautiful. It's it's stunning. And it's neat to see. I feel like the whole time this story has been the the setting, like the physical setting of the story has been so bleak and yeah. gray and ash and everything, you know. And this is just like peaceful sunshine flower petals you know it, it's really pretty um it, it this is this is like the definition of bittersweet like in that order like it is bitter but there is like a the sweet element of like i i, I think this may have been how trevor explained it to me at one point i could be remembering that wrong i, I don't know where i heard this but it's like yeah everyone dies but just about everyone dies like probably the way that they would have planned it or envisioned to, I guess. I mean, that's something Finn I would say. may have not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I heard that. I may have heard that with someone else. Um, but I mean, Vin probably didn't expect to become preservation. Like that was probably a bit unforeseen, you know. Uh, but you know, like like the way that they die sort of together you know it it if if this didn't happen if they died and never reunited it would have been totally different like I, right there would have been a lot of upset readers you know um so there's there's kind of a redeeming quality there while while we're talking visuals i want to get you guys thoughts this whole this whole sander lanch with so much ash lava coloss the the sun and its burning heat intensity vin and and ruin as these like cosmic forces doing battle how do you portray that visually i i i cannot picture a a movie style that would do that justice like there's elements of it that almost have to be kind of over the top anime style but that doesn't work too well with a you know more darker broody fantasy story which 
what most of this I think would would lean more towards. I I can't even. I have a pretty good imagination, and I'm having a hard time imagining some of this stuff. That's really fair. This this Mistborn era one out of the ones we've read so far might be the hardest for me to to pinpoint like what what visual media yeah told in because i'd say up until this book i think you could do a movie and it'd be just fine i think so i think you could do that and it, it would work well this one it is like an anime kind of style would portray it pretty well it'd be really hard to do it in a tv show or just about anything live action i feel like so particularly with if you're like, really trying to it'd be it's hard to capture the magnitude like the scale right. that we're on right of like the power with, at hand exactly with vin ascending to shard level doing battle with ruin somehow planets reshaping moving in orbit like how do you go from gruesome dark battles with coloss in mountains of ash to like cosmic level events. How, how do you portray that side by side and that not just be incredibly bewildering? I think another thing to note also is that the the these crazy high powers in this story, ruin and yeah. preservation, are a bit more abstract. It's not like it's not like oh that's a god. They're they're the strongest. Like they have strong powers. You know, like it. They they do have strong powers, but it's more abstract. You know, it's ruin and it's preservation and what falls under those umbrellas. It's not just like a strength, a cosmic strength, if you will. It's not like I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good comparison, like a Dragon Ball Z kind of archetype or anything. I haven't actually seen Dragon Ball Z, but you know, the like the like f- fighting prowess. It's not it's not like about that. Um, can I, can can I go ahead and, Trevor, did you have a thought before I propose a, a reading? Uh, it depends on what the reading is. <laughs> I do have a thought, well, I, but th- does it tie it? Uh, I'll, yes. I'll go ahead and say, I'll go ahead and say what I was going to say. And then I, I don't have answers for you. I don't know how to adapt this. But then on top of that, after three long movies or shows or whatever you're doing, where the entire palette has been gray black maybe some dark red like dark 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 and then the last five minutes of the film is like the most picturesque meadow you've ever seen in your life like how do you adapt that successfully to where your audience doesn't get visually fatigued and then successfully pull off that rebirth of the world back to normal because Without without the last scene, you could more you, you could make Scadrial a little bit more like Earth in an adaptation, like j- just so that you're not con- constantly like visually bogging down your audience with ash everywhere and mist everywhere. Like you could tone that down a little bit, but because we know that it's supposed to look like Earth, it's just in the wrong spot in its orbit, so it's burning alive. The you then have to push in that direction in order to successfully adapt that at the end of the third movie. But it sounds like 
not a fun movie to watch. <laughs> and and some of these themes, the the abstractness of it that Paul was talking about too, I think it would prove a challenge as well. How do you how do you balance out the the darkness and the the gloom without yeah dragging everybody down, but then so that you get your payoff at the end with the beauty and the wonder to to close out the story. But then how do you also portray the the more abstract powers that are at play here. I, I wanted to read a section that I think ties into this and has some really stark white versus black imagery that they use. This is the scene where Ellen and Marsh are doing battle. Ellen runs out of metals. He's the only way he's holding up against Marsh is because he's got all his, you know, pewter and all his other metals that he's got. He runs out. Vin takes control of him or at the very least is funneling all of her shard like power into Ellen. And then Ruin does the same to Marsh. And, and this is the, this is the visuals that we get. We're in, uh, we're in Ellen's perspective here. Yeah. And he saw just briefly an enormous figure in the air right above him, a shifting, brilliant personage of pure white. His hands held to his shoulders with her head thrown back, white hair streaming, mist flaring behind her like wings that stretched across the sky. Then, he thought with a smile. Ellen looked back down as Marsh screamed and leaped forward, attacking with his axe in one hand, seeming to trail something vast and black like a cloak behind him. It's that kind of stuff that I have a hard time imagining that. What what does that look like without going crazy animated anime with, you know, effects kind of bursting off the screen that, that I've not really seen portrayed in a darker, more realistic in a way fantasy. It would be it'd be a real challenge. I don't I don't I know neither of y'all have seen this. But maybe one of our listeners, maybe some of our listeners, uh, Trevor may laugh at this because he's probably heard me and some of our other friends talk about it. But there is a really highly seen popular anime called Attack on Titan, <clears throat> which is, I would actually argue, maybe the... It's hard for me to say it's the most similar. It's It's similar in very cosmic ending really like destroyed world becoming good kind of or becoming healed if you will the ending was very uh i i have no comments to make about the show it's it's uh, a bit polarizing of an ending and stuff but um and, and definitely questionable ethics but they th- there is at least at least that is my evidence that an animated style can portray things of that nature pretty well um you know, it, there may still be elements that are hard, to, like the whole ruin and preservation. But I, I think that would be easy enough to explain. Um, so anyways, if anyone has seen that show, Attack on Titan, all the way through, uh, comment and let me know if, if you think I'm fairly, you know, if that's fairly accurate or if I'm way off. But I think... Uh, you know, I think it can be, it could be portrayed and could do well. You know, that it, it's 
not too far fetched, but in like a live action, it would be very hard. It would be it would, that would that would be very hard to get the the fight sequence you could do. I mean, I'm sure that's very possible, but you know, it's it'd be really that'd be super challenging though. Stuff like that always sounds impossible to me. And then I have seen some animated stuff that's just fantastic. And so, like, there's people out there who are just way more creative and visual than I am. So I'm I'm sure it's way more feasible than, than I think it is. Should we talk about Sazed? The hero of ages. Sazed is, unfortunately, the hero of ages. Elliot, I want to talk to you for a second. You are <laughs> you are not supposed to key into the unfortunately. It is a it is a clue. It is there on purpose, and you found it. However, there's one way more obvious that you. I assume you didn't catch that since you didn't bring it up. Did you Did you see another clue that it was Sazed besides the Hero of Ages talks about Vin and Ellen in the third person? Vin and Ellen in the third person. That's like later half of the book, though. I. I had a small suspicion just based on the the way the author is speaking. It's a very scholarly says it says it's the character we have the similarist to that. So I I suspected it a few times, but you seem to be hinting at something that I should have seen that I didn't. So then the second question is, is it actually in your book? Because it might have been redacted. So could you open your book, Elliot, to chapter three? And read oh, three. Yes, and read the epigraph of chapter three for me and see if you can find out that it says it from that. Well, let's find out. Chapter three. In some ways, having such power was too overwhelming, I think. This was a power that would take millennia to understand. Remaking the world would have been easy had one been familiar with the power. Yet I realized the danger inherent in my ignorance. Like a child suddenly given awesome strength, I could have pushed too hard and left the world a broken toy I could never repair. Is there anything in there that yells Sazed to you? Is there anything in there that yells Sazed to me? No? Should there? I think. He ends half of his sentences with, I think. Oh, okay. That's a good point. Does he I do never that? Realize that? All the time? Yeah, all the time. I mean, I do notice that a lot. I. I would believe it if if that kind of didn't stick out to Elliot as much, but it's it's very notable listen hearing that. Right. When oh. it's like, you know, Michael Kramer does a fantastic job with the audiobooks, right? And he has a good cadence for all of his characters. And says it is very logical and straightforward and all almost you know, probably yeah, roughly half the time or more ends it with like, This is the way it is, I think. You know, so that's a good point. I did not realize there's some controversy in the fandom for the audiobook. So the majority of people that read the Cosmere are now audiobook listeners. Fifty five percent of all of Sanderson sales are audiobooks. Michael Kramer uses Sazed's voice to read these uh, epigraphs, oh. and it's it's highly controversial in the in certain forums of whether he should have done that or not. Because when you're listening to it, if you know, if if you're overthinking it, it is really obvious that it is Sazed reading those ap- epigraphs to you. 
if you're not really paying attention to it, and if you're not thinking about like if you're just casually listening to it, you probably don't pick it up. Um, but if you, Elliot, I think like with the amount of thought you put into Cosmere books, if you were to listen to it, you would you would have known that it was says it you, you, without a shadow of a doubt on the first yeah. half of the book, just because the the pace, like Paul was saying, is so prevalent in Michael Kramer's voice. He uses Sazed's voice to read the epigraphs. What, what do you what do you think about that? And that would it wouldn't be controversial, except that the very first line that you read of the entire book, the first epigraph, is "I am the hero of ages." Right. So you have that framework to go. It's pointing you directly at that. So yeah, that's a great point that I did not experience that as a physical copy reader and that there's a there's a voice to go along with that you're, you're absolutely right how do i feel about that oof i mm, man i almost feel like i have to think about that i'm not really an audiobook person so i'm kind of the wrong person to ask but that that feels like a spoiler to me it feels like a spoiler it feels like you'd have to it feels like you should try and mask that somehow go ahead paul one thing I will say, um, <laughs> maybe this is just more telling of me and my attention to detail than than anything, but I never realized this <laughs> until now, and this is my second time reading through this series um, via audiobook. I will say that the, the reason why I feel like I would just about give it a pass is... It's it's like that throughout the whole the whole time from from the start of book one to the end of book three, um, so it's it's consistent and so you don't think about it, and also I always, you know, I, I've I guess been around these epigraphs for a while now, and it's easy to imagine that this is someone reading something right like they they have a manuscript or something that is being read off of a page not necessarily the voice of the speaker you know and um and in the second book that is what's happening so in the second book it's the rubbing that's being read and says it is reading it say it is says it is not the author says it is reading it so you can assume the same for book three i guess if you want um there in all honesty, like throughout all the books, I mean, you can only have so many voices for people and things. And so, I mean, there's I, there's characters who are very similar. And especially in Stormlight, it, it actually kind of throws you for a loop of like Michael Kramer reading some and Kate Redding, some, Redding reading some. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Um, and like if they if one of them is reading a character that the other typically reads, then it kind of throws you off because their way that they're talking as that character totally throws you off compared to how you're used to hearing it. And, you know, other things like that, how it sounds, the whole, the whole thing. Um, I would honestly say that this isn't spoilery because I don't, I don't envision that someone reading through this would pick up on that because that's what they are you you're used to hearing from the very start uh, if it wasn't consistent then maybe that would be weird if it was like oh just on those parts where it's says it's text 
um, Sazed's words, it, he used that voice. But I'm pretty confident that's consistent all throughout. And so... So, there's another angle of this where in the Stormlight Archive, there are two letters, both from Sazed, to Hoyd in the epigraphs. And so in in the hero er, in the way of kings, Hoyd writes a letter in the epigraphs asking for help with Roshar, like we Odium is gonna destroy the world, we need help. And one of them goes to endowment, one of them goes to Frost, his dragon friend, one of them goes to uh there's there's another one, but one of them goes to Sazed, um who is at at the time of Stormlight the the vessel of both ruin and preservation. So there's a there's a part of the epigraph in Rhythm of War where Sazed says these two powers that I hold, ruin and preservation, are at such odds with each other and they like bind my hands or something like that. And because of that, we almost had to read the Hero of Ages. We had to read Bishborn before reading Rhythm of War. But I decided to waive it because if you're looking for it, it's a huge spoiler. But if you're not, then it's not that big of a deal. So um, you you can go back and read those epigraphs and maybe we'll do an episode in the future reading those epigraphs with the knowledge that it's Sazed responding to Hoyd. Because when you have that knowledge, because there's one in Words of Radiance and one in Rhythm of War. Um, so maybe we'll go back and read those. But uh, yeah, those are from Sazed. Just this is a very brief point. Adding on to what you're saying, <clears throat> I also don't think this is spoilery because I think if you're not looking for it, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna realize that as well. As far as like the audiobook voice, but oh, and that's my two cents. Yeah. On on the same note, this is also why we couldn't read Tress. So, Tress at at like three quarters of the way through the book, Hoyd is the narrator, and he's like, "And if Sazed hadn't taken both the powers for himself, we would have been fine." Or like, there's just like this random off off the cuff line, and you're like, "Why? Why would you put that in there? <laughs> it is not important at all." But for anyone who's like about to read. Mistborn or in the middle of reading Mistborn and reads Tress for whatever reason. Huge spoiler, just like random one liner in Tress. That's Which... hilarious. I didn't I didn't know that was the reason. I was just told not to read it yet because of major spoilers. So that's good to know. I can read it now. Sort of. And I will say after this I'm not reading ahead of the podcast anymore. This was my trial run at that and it took all it took it out of me. <laughs> and this might be more appropriate for next episode but since we're talking about it we should bring it up now it, on the topic of like little nuggets that are buried elsewhere it was uh just earlier today as i was prepping for this episode that i was chatting in our in our discord and uh and one of our listeners and, and mods on our discord ranks jumps in and, and pipes in with oh and by the way have you gone back and read the epigraph to the prologue of the final empire, the first book in the Mistborn series to which I had my reaction that I usually have when Trevor does this kind of stuff to me and go, 
uh, no, I have not. Should I do that? And lo and behold, there is the description of Sazed being the hero of ages and saving the world by taking on the power explained to you right there in the prologue of the final empire. There you go. And I, I decided as soon as ranks pointed that out to me, Sanderson does this a lot. I he does. He is, he is so masterful at planning ahead. We've talked about this before where there's, there's bits and pieces buried two, three, four books back in stuff that you're reading. He is so patient and will make his investment early and wait and wait and wait and wait and then cash it out at the end. We, we need a term for this. So there's, there's the Sanderlanch, right? That one's, that one's used across the whole fandom. We, we need another one for when he does this hide it hide a nugget or a hint in the beginning and then have a huge massive reveal that completely changes your perspective of that from the start so i'm i'm currently workshopping uh, a term for that i'm not not quite sure for the uh front runner right now for me is a uh, for sandering it's like foreshadowing but it's but it's for sandering yeah that's my favorite so far that's pretty good i like i like that for sandering do you want another example of this that people have been obsessing on? Yes. Word of Brandon at a Q&A. He has said that he has written the end of the Stormlight Archive in one of the first two books, in either The Way of Kings or Words of Radiance. And he has not said anything further. And by end, he means book 10. Not the, not the Contest of Champions, not, you know... Stormlight spoilers or what, whatever, but not the end of book five. The, he said he put the end of book 10 somewhere in the way of Kings or words of radiance. He didn't confirm which one and he didn't say anything else and anything, any questions he's been asked. He's braffoed. So there you go. So any, any, um, so right now I, I've just started rereading the, the Stormlight archive. I'm I'm trying to reread get all up to date again, be super current for Dragonsteel this, this upcoming year. And so I, I just finished part one uh, of The Way of Kings today. And it, it is pretty miraculous how much more stuff I'm uh, tuned into. Um, but anyways, I'll, I'll let y'all know once I finish uh, Words of Radiance, I'll let you know what the ending is this time since I know, know it all now. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll find that for y'all. Sounds good. No worries. I have a, I have a thought or a question for you guys in all this Sanderlanch here at the end of Mistborn Air One. There was one part of this that didn't quite come off for me, and I'm not quite sure why. It's the, it's the ha ha we beat you moment. The moment where Ruin says, all this is futile. I'm going to destroy all this. All you do, you're just killing everything. That's exactly what I want. I'm going to get my power back and rule the world. And Ellen goes, ha, but you can't because we just burned all your ATM with all these ATM mistings that we have. All your power is gone. 
because we just burned it as we battled your Kolos. The, the plot elements of that, the logistics makes, makes sense to me. The fact that we find out all of Demu's misfallen. Is it Captain Demu, right? Is Captain Demu, yep. I think he's he a had general, this, actually. General at this point. He had all these people, right, that got sick when the mist hit them, and they got really sick, like more than everybody else. Turns out we find they were all turned into ATM mistings, specifically. Preservation's power did that specifically. I'm going to give you these guys to be ATM mistings. Makes sense. Preservation's trying to defeat Ruin. Preservation could have thought about this. I That part doesn't like feel overly convenient or whatever. But it just... I don't know. It felt really unsatisfying to me of... We spend three books, three books, looking for the ATM stash. We find it. We realize it's Ruin's power. Ruin is super powerful. He's crushing everybody, but he'd do it even worse if he had all this power. Vin is able to just barely hold him off, kill him, do whatever happens there because he doesn't have the ATM, which is the rest of his power. And the solution to all that was just to eat it all? Like... Okay. I have some good thoughts on this, but do you want to go first, Paul? You you go ahead first, Trevor. Yeah. Okay. So I agree with you, first of all, that it does feel a little bit odd. But as we'll talk about a little bit next week, the theme of this book and the theme of this ending is Ruin, you might be winning, but we're going to take you down with us. We're, if we're going to die, you're going to die too. And so the, like the big epic fantasy bright hope, like, like a stormlight version of this might be, we're going to use your ATM against you and we're going to win. No, the, the dark gritty mistborn version is we're going to use this ATM so that you can't win. We know we've lost, but we're, we're going to deny you your victory. And Ellen has this big, long speech at, um, to his ATM mistings at the end of the book where I, like, I need your, I'm leading you to your deaths. Um, I don't ask you for your hope because there is none, blah, blah, blah. And I, I just flash back to the end of The Way of Kings where Dalinar gives a similar speech, but Ellen... Ellen's version lacks any of the hope that Dalinar's speech does. Now, Dalinar says, hey, we're going to fight to the death. We might die, but we're going to fight to the death. Ellen says, no, we're definitely dead, but we're going to fight to the death. And I agree with you that that type of ending kind of feels a little bit unsatisfying to me. I I get it that you need to set up Sazed to remake the world because the world itself is broken. I understand. But that that's it doesn't quite fulfill my wants expectations of a fantasy book. But before I ask more questions, did you have anything to add, Paul? I'm thinking about this. I feel like I don't have anything extremely insightful into this. What y'all what you're mentioning is very true. It it feels a bit like a I feel like this is a place 
for you know the good old suspension of disbelief um when when going through here and not necessarily in that it's unbelievable it it makes sense it's logical but my my thought on this is less less so like does this make sense and more so I personally was a bit confused why this came back as a major, as the the major plot point, like the pinnacle part, you know. And they even explain about like preservation and the pits of half sin, and like how it's like the the ATM is deposited there, and that they would grow they would grow back after being destroyed after several years, you know, things like that. Like it's it's a major deal that this is like how ruin is kept in check and i mean aside from like the the logic or the like we could just burn all the atm it it still just felt odd that this is this is where it was headed um i say that also i don't want it to sound like i'm discrediting the story because i still think the story is really good but it that that is the one element of this whole like pinnacle this sander lanch that fell out of place, I guess. But as far as the logic of it, I don't, I don't have any other comments or things to add on that. I don't think. And I think that was part of my feeling on it too. Is out of place is a good way to say it. And and maybe, Trevor, your thoughts are are my answer of I'm just used to more classical fantasy, which would which would have a uh, a U catastrophe, and and this does not. It it just has a. Yeah, we're gonna take each, we're gonna take everyone out. There is no is no hope, although th- there kind of is throughout it all. But but that moment there just kind of felt not super heroic or clever. It's almost just well, we have ATM mistings. We'll just burn it all. Oh yeah, that was Ruin's whole power stash, and we just ATM'd it away. I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking for there. I don't know what to what to say to say this is what I would have preferred. It was just kind of left me with a oh that's it thought. Anything else? I'll say I did. I did enjoy this this Sander Lynch quite a bit, and I wanted to compare it briefly with a few thoughts to Stormlight Sander Lynches. Can we go behind a Stormlight banner at this point? Are we at that are we at that point? Sure. Yeah, we can go Stormlight spoilers. Okay. I did have another thing to add, but but also a Stormlight spoilers, so I'm glad we're making this step. Okay. Couple couple Stormlight spoiler thoughts or comparisons to make with this book. So if you don't want Stormlight spoilers, see you later. Trevor, you talked about this a little bit already with the pace of the Sanderlanch. You don't get any processing time at the at the end of it. And I was thinking specifically, this is why I want to go behind spoilers, because I want to talk about Oathbringer. Oathbringer, I f- for me, in the book, the order of the books that I read, the experience that I've had with the Cosmere, Oathbringer is the poster child of Sander Lanches for me. You, there's such an adrenaline rush of reading the Sander Lanch of Oathbringer. Like you cannot set the book down. You have to, and it's a long one. There's a hundred pages. Yeah, it's where you're like, it's like it's two a.m. and I'm gonna keep reading. Yeah, kind of thing. This, that this Sander Lanch in this book was, it was frantic 
in a in kind of a similar way. There, there's a lot going on. We've got Godvin and God Ruin doing battle, Sazed taking on, you know, ascending to Godhood. Like it, it's kind of crazy, but it wasn't. I don't know. It it wasn't quite all not as not as epic somehow as a Stormlight Standard Lynch. And com- contrast that to I think some of what we're talking about the physics of it is more epic. Right. We're talking about a planet reshaping and moving in orbit. Like this stuff is crazy, like cosmic level stuff, but it didn't feel as epic. And that's not a criticism by, by the way, by any means, I'm not, not saying it should have been because Mistborn is a very different story than, than Stormlight, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to put my, trying to put my finger on it. It's different. And I can't fully explain why. I think I will turn it into a criticism. I agree with you. And I think it's just because Sanderson misses the pace of it a little bit. He doesn't allow you to really grasp. He doesn't let you stop and consider the ramifications, the scale of what's happening. He's just, he introduces Ruin and then kind of moves on from there to the next action sequence. It seems like he's a little insecure to not let you sit with ruin for several chapters just to get the depth of like danger that he is like, like you do with odium. Like there, there will be several parts of Oathbringer, for example, to just hang out with odium for you to really understand exactly who you're dealing with and what's at stake here. Whereas ruin, he's kind of introduced and then the Kolos show up and then Marsh shows up and then you're running across Scadrial to try to save the world and you, you don't really get a, a chance to stop and catch your breath. And then Sazed grabs the power and the book's done. Book's done. Like, let, give me a chapter in yeah. Sazed's point of view. Like I need I need a Hoyd to give me a monologue to help me digest right. what all I just read. Where, where's, where's my Hoyd epilogue? And I know the answer to that question. It's because Sanderson at the time and publishers at the time didn't want it. They didn't want thousand pages, but me as a reader, that's what I want. And that I'm just saying that that's why I like Stormlight more than Mistborn is because Stormlight gives me the processing time just based on interludes and multiple point of views and stuff like that, where I can really feel the weight of what Kaladin's going through or what Dalinar is trying to fight, you know, stuff like that. Whereas it doesn't feel like there's as much weight to ruin. Is it, is it a slight disconnect between the scope of what Sanderson's going for and the format of the novel that he's, he's chosen? And, and I mean slight, cause it really, the book works. It's, it's a very good book at the at the end of the day but i i wonder if like you said page count he's trying to keep it a little smaller he's trying to make it a bit more accessible maybe than a than a stormlight it's it, it's not going for the long drawn out fantasy epic although there's a lot of friends that i have that would vehemently disagree with me and think this is a, a long drawn out fantasy epic which i guess it is but going for that kind of medium medium length not fantasy novel that's accessible to maybe the not so steeped in lore fantasy fan. Is he trying to force too much epicness into a book like that? And it doesn't, 
quite mesh perfectly. It, it works, but does it not quite come off 110%? This is, this is a tough one. My thought is it does work. It does come across. And what we are asking for and we want further explanation is the is the difference. You know, like Trevor said, you know, it's not going to be a thousand page book. We're not going to get the deep explanation afterward. We're not going to get extra chapters to maybe highlight ruin more throughout. In my head, I feel like the only shift that would make it a bit better, and there's all sorts of reasons why this doesn't work, which I'll get into, but I'm like, the Well of Ascension, I felt like was a bit of, what was my least favorite of the these three books, um, because it felt like it, it drug a bit especially reading it the second time and kind of knowing the mystery element. There was kind of the mystery element of it, of, you know, who's the, who's the, which member of the crew is a Chondra, you know. There's that mystery element, which I didn't have this time, which made it a bit harder. I feel like some of these things could have entered the fray earlier, and maybe that would have made it... Feel feel better for us, maybe feel more tied up in a bow. Um, but all in all, I think this works. I think it works really well. It is a very hasty, it is a very rapid, fast pace ending where you it's just boom, 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 boom. All this, all the big stuff happens right there together. You know, it really like unleashes all of it then. But I mean, I think it, I think it works for the pacing of the book. It's it's crazy because of the scale we go to. And after this, I have some other things that I want to talk about with y'all about like the scale that we're looking at here. But but I, I want to stick here for a second and and just say like this. Personally, I think the pacing works. I I don't know that I have the best explanation as to why, other than. Even if you're not steeped in in deep fantasy, you do kind of get a picture. You get a good picture of ruin and of preservation. You know, there's a lot of details which I could still deliberate on and not fully understand, I think, with ruin and with preservation. But I think you can still read, read this on its own, having read nothing. Let's say we're having read like no other fantasy or anything like that. And it's still clicks it still feels cosmic and you're still taken through that journey well um although it may we, we may want further maybe further um explanations and things you know yeah i agree okay i have a couple points i want to talk about if if y'all are set go for okay. it i'm gonna go down <laughs> I'm not going to try to avoid them. I'm going to jump straight down two different rabbit holes here, which will probably um, debunk. And then, this isn't like a prediction, but just talking about things. So, Sazed, now, my understanding is he is the vessel for ruin and for preservation. You'd be correct. For two shards. For two shards. Right? We've only seen, before this, full Cosmere, what we've read, we've only, as far as I know, we've only seen a vessel of one shard of Adonalsium. 
Yep. Right. Yep. So, okay. Hoyd is, you know, I'm, I'm like, can, you know, Dalinar's unite the, I, this. This isn't actually a question. This is a rhetorical question. Dalinar's whole unite them thing. Is he gonna, you know, fast forward to the end of Stormlight? Is he gonna become a vessel for multiple shards on Roshar? You know, is he gonna oh. do something crazy like that? Unite them, like that. Become, you know, uh, it's separate in my head. I'm. Okay, uh, wh- where I'm ultimately going to is is Sazed like a front runner maybe in the Cosmere of knowledge, power, and maybe a front runner of like if Hoyt is trying to reunite, let's say the shards of Adonalsium or something like that. Are we going to try to get Sazed to pick up more of these shards? Can you? I, I mean, that's something that I haven't thought of like a person being able to do. Right. You know, I think of like a Hoyd maybe could do that, but says it. I mean, he's a, you know, he was a, he was a good, strong, smart guy. You know, but, <laughs> but, but we've never seen two shards on a person. You know, like, or have is there you? a limit? Yeah, exactly. That's that's <laughs> another question, but I'm maybe, not going to dive into that. Yeah, can. can hypothetically, if there's eight shards right next to each other, ready for the taking, can you just pick them all up? You know? Um, so, <laughs> what so. if what if he hypothetically, what if he picked up Ruin and Odium? I mean, like, <laughs> well, that's gotta be tough, you know? It, these are the spoiler Q&A sessions in, at Dragonsteel that that happened. These are the types of questions. So there's a. We we were briefly saying that we want more Sazed point of view at the end of the book as more like closure. But something he actually does give us is he has a thought to himself. Ruin and preservation. They were once united forces. How did they split? Or or I, that's not the exact quote. Maybe I should find it. But like he has the he has the thought of these powers are meant to be together. How did they, how did they ever become separate? That would then beg the question, is he referring to Adonalsium or is he referring to the 16 shards and both of them together were one of those shards? Is ruin and preservation two halves or Mm. two? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. I was thinking about this. So, I'm not sure if I have an answer for you, but if it's two, then we're only missing one shard. If they're two halves, then we're still missing two shards. And then kind of follow-on questions to that or what were popping in my head as you were talking, Paul, was I'd be, I'd be interested to get yeah, Sazed point of view stuff or more information about what Sazed is now at this point, because I'd be curious of, is the two shards within him, do they become one? Do they meld together and become something new? You know, what does preservation plus ruin get you? Or does he have two warring powers within him? You know, what? where does that go? Which you, you then extrapolate what you were saying, Paul, down the road. Are we trying to 
reunite all the shards to reform Adonalsium. You're talking about one person like taking up all 16 shards. Do you get Adonalsium reformed at that point? Or do you just get someone with 16 different personalities at war within them, aka Shalon, whatever? <laughs> you know, what what are the physics behind taking up multiple shards? Are you combining? Are you melding together? Do you just have two within you? Like questions. Shalon for Adonalsium 2044. Ah, yes. yes. Exactly. This is exactly what I was thinking about, Elliot. So, like, the question you just asked is, like, right down the vein of, of, of what I'm thinking. So, what we have seen of the shards so far... So, let, let, let me... I'll, I'll name some names. So, we, we've had... We don't really get a good look at Ruin, and we don't get a good look at Preservation, like, the, the vessels of them before, you know? We, we get a picture of what they are like as a shard, I feel like. But on Roshar, right, we have Rays and then Teravangian. And we we haven't gotten to see Teravangian play out, but we do know Teravangian, like the character, the person. Um, and we can see that his interaction, his interaction with Hoyd as... Odium's interaction with Hoyd as Ray's and as Teravangian was different. Right. And it's my assumption, and also now seeing, it is probably different because he has two, let's say he has two shards here. Let's make that assumption, I think, um, at this moment, that that uh, says it has the shard of Ruin and the shard of Preservation. He still from the limited text we see, it still seems like Sazed. Right. Right. He thinks to see how he sees how Ven and Ellen are doing. He makes a point to make Spook a Mistborn, you know, stuff like that. He still seems like Sazed. And so I, I feel that there is maybe more power of the person of the vessel in relation to the shard than than would be assumed obviously the shard is incredibly powerful and they can't i would argue maybe can't fully act outside of the bounds of what the shard can and can't do unclear on that that's an assumption as well but i would i would argue that the shard the, the vessel of the shard has a bit of sway over it you know has a bit of ha has some control over there you know uh, with odium the whole thing with like passion i feel like it gets a bit messy because it's very like i don't know it's very driven very desirably driven so anyways th there's there's a whole mess i could talk about with that but what i'm getting to i guess is Oh man, it's it's hard to make a say of like yeah. If if Sazed got six the sixteen shards, let's say, like would he be Adonalsium again, like remade? I don't think so. I think I think it would work in harmony. Like it would, he would be powerful, if you will. It's not like sixteen conflicting that, things. That was a maybe funny word you just used. Things. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yes, harmony. Haha. <laughs> Um, but, um, but like, I, I think it would go together. I don't, I don't think it would be like, maybe if there was an odd mismatch of 
like he has Odium and Ruin together. I I, I feel like that would get kind of messy, you know. But anyways, anyways, I I kind of digress at that point. But you know, th- that's that's my thought now with this and the knowledge we have from other Cosmere stuff is like, okay, how many how many shards can we strap onto someone? And also, what about Honor is dead as far as we know? Um, I'm assuming I'm kind of in the boat that there's some way that Honor will come back, but. If honor's dead, can you? Th- there's just fifteen shards now, or something like. We know it's it's a bit more complicated than that, but you know, there's no vessel for of honor, right? Con- confirmed, right? It might be and by the so, end of the year. Like, how do we do that? You know, can, can we do that? I don't. I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, these are all great questions that I'm not sure I have answers to, but. I would be very surprised if we did have answers to these questions, actually. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> it's know. It's fun to get the, to ask these questions now. With, with the context of the end of Hero of Ages in mind, it is fun to think about, well, what would happen if you held this one and this one together? Or what would happen if you held, you know, like, virtuosity and honor? What would that do? I don't know. I, ha- I have another unrelated, but another another topic to talk about. And it's actually a question at first, because I don't remember exactly what happens. So with so so now after the aftermath of all of this, right? After after everyone <laughs> dies and all the Chondra are gone and everything, all the carnage, are there just a bunch of alimantic like hemology spikes laying around? Laying around all of them. Yeah. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Isn't this a? I mean, we haven't read further, but is this a great time for like the ghost bloods to maybe harvest? You know, <laughs> like to get involved. You know, is this how we're gonna bridge? You know, is that what we're gonna see later? We know, we know, Kelsier is somehow tied to the ghost bloods. Is is that how he's gonna make a resurgence? You know, a lot of free, you know, free real estate sitting around. You know, so that that was my other thought of like this seems like a great opportunity if. The Ghostbloods find out about this. Timeline-wise, Mistborn is before Stormlight, right? So, yes. Mistborn is 200 and some odd years before Stormlight Era 1. Mistborn Era 2 is directly after Stormlight Era 1. Did I say that right? Mistborn Era 1. I think so. Stormlight Era 1, Mistborn Era 2. And then mm-hmm. Stormlight Era 2. So Mistborn Era 2 happens between Stormlight 1 and 2. And there's only about 30 years between Stormlight 1 and 2. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, so this 250 years before Stormlight, you know, where, are, where the Ghost Bloods a thing? Is, is this how he's going to start? Is this is Kelsier going to start by picking up all these spikes or something? I don't know. That was just my 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 thought slash joke. Is seems like low hanging fruit if you're looking to get investiture off of Roshar. Yeah. I'm sure it's an easy sell to you. Go up to someone oh. and be like, "Listen, if you drive this spike into your face, you will <laughs> you will get really strong. Trust me. You know, <laughs> just trust me on this." I I think the question I posed earlier still stands, which is I think exactly 
which you might be getting at here, Paul, or theorizing on, which is we know ghost bloods are looking for storm. Well, ghost bloods are looking for stormlight because it's supposedly a transportable version of investiture. Why not Scadrill? If the metal is investiture, leave a question mark next to that still, three books in. Why do they not just have big strip mines on Scadrill and just carry all the metal around the, the Cosmere? That seems way easier than trying to come up with ever fancy Fabrial-based system to get Stormlight off of Roshar. So there, there's something there's something missing there, I think. Okay, another question. Do we know if there is a shard, does there have to be a perpendicularity? Do we know if that's like a confirmed thing, or do we have any evidence to point towards that? Can I answer Elliot's question first, and then we can talk about perpendicularities? So on our episode 32 of our Mistborn saga, uh, which would be episode 181, a couple weeks ago, we had a comment on YouTube from Matthew Letexier? I apologize about that one. Um, he says, to respond to your question, Elliot, about the ghost bloods and portable investiture. Uh, he says, I don't know if Trevor knows or is waiting to say or just doesn't know, but the metal is not invested or investiture. Any metal from any work, as long as, as it is viable metal, could work for Alamancy or Farrakhan. The metal acts as a key to preservation's investiture. Burning metal allows the person to access investiture. The ability lies within the person. The metal is a key in the lock to access the power. So you have to have okay. preservation okay. hanging out next to you for metal to work. That makes sense. Okay. That, co- that covers up the that. Yes, that that does absolutely help a ton because the question still left in my mind was, is the metal investiture? Are we talking about, you know, I have a a brick of aluminum in my carrying around investiture? Okay, answer to that is no. Got it. Okay, extremely helpful. Does does this mean that ATM, though, is both? Like, you both need... So, Preservations like power, but like the key is also investiture. That one I will wrap up because ATM's weird, and you'll get more explanation on that later. Okay. That's fair. This feels more like a Cosmere 101 <laughs> episode than the end of the Hero of Ages. Yeah. Oh no, exactly. we're like Cosmere 301 at this yeah, point. Yeah, that's we true, are. That's true. We're we're a few layers deep in this. Anything else, gentlemen? I have I have plenty more thoughts, but they're kind of about the book as a whole, so we'll save them for our wrap-up episode next week. Sounds good. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. We will reconvene next week. Later. <laughs>